My name is Sandy Lanes, and I'm the host of this podcast, as well as a pedagogical consultant and presenter who partners with educators and schools on their Reggio-inspired journeys. Each episode, I have the pleasure of interviewing experts in the early childhood field. Welcome to a special episode of Awakened to Reggio. What makes it so special is that I am joined by one of my favorite child advocates, Hedda Sherapin, who was Fred Rogers' associate producer and friend for the duration of his iconic TV program, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. While Hedda and Fred did not study the Reggio approach, their knowledge of child development, along with their deep belief in a child's capability, in the importance of listening, and their focus on the social and emotional lives of children make this interview a beautiful pairing with our study of the approach. I never get enough of Hedda's stories about Mr. Rogers and the many lessons we can all learn from his legacy. I believe you all will see the incredible connections to this time in education and this time in the world. Thank you so much for joining us. The second I met today's guest about a year and a half ago, I felt as though I was meeting a member of my family. In fact, we often refer to each other as cousin. Our hearts connected immediately, and then of course, our shared dedication to creating a world in which children are listened to, understood, and valued. It made us a perfect match. Hedda Sherapin began working with Mr. Rogers, or Fred as she refers to him, on the very first taping day of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood in 1966. She has served as assistant director, assistant producer, associate producer, and director of early childhood initiatives for his nonprofit production company. These days, as a child development consultant for Fred Rogers Productions, she's a script consultant for its award-winning PBS children's series, Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. She is currently a senior fellow at the Fred Rogers Center at St. Vincent College, where she received an honorary doctorate. She also writes a monthly e-newsletter called What We Continue to Learn from Fred Rogers that reaches more than 16,000 subscribers. Hedda speaks all over the country, presenting professional development for teachers and helping audiences of all ages reflect on the timeless messages in Fred Rogers' beloved neighborhood series. You probably saw Hedda in the highly acclaimed Fred Rogers documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor? She teaches me so much all the time, and I'm so excited for her to share her stories and perspectives with you today. Hedda, welcome. Thank you. It's an honor to be here, Sandy. Well, it is truly my honor. Hedda, you have had so many amazing experiences. Can you just start by telling us how you became connected to Mr. Rogers? Well, the story actually starts way back before Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And I think your listeners might especially appreciate the story. I was about 11 years old, and I used to play about having my own television show for children. <laughs> it was called The Happy Hedda Show. I'd sit on the stairs in our house, and in front of the stairs was a big mirror at the lane, and that's where I used to make The Happy Hedda Show. 
I think in part it was inspired by a program that Fred Rogers was involved with in the 50s called Children's Corner. The host, Josie Carey, on the program, Fred was behind the scenes, but the host, Josie Carey, was, she was sparkling and full of enthusiasm and a love of learning, and I think that's where I caught it. So I did a lot of uh, theater classes as a kid, and then when I went on to college, I decided I was going to go into pre-med. But I, the, I went to Carnegie Tech. I grew up right outside of Pittsburgh in a small mill town, a steel mill town. And I went to Carnegie Tech starting in biology, but I ended up with a degree in psychology. And then I said, now what? I was waiting for grad schools and I thought about finding work in Pittsburgh in case the grad school journey didn't work out. So I went to Alcoa, I went to IBM, maybe industrial psych. Sort of on a lark, I went over to our WQED public station and I interviewed for, I asked, I interviewed, I, I asked somebody if I could work there in children's television. And the man who interviewed me said, uh, I'm sorry, headed there are no jobs available now and you can't teach on television that was educational television then in 1965 he said you can't teach on television without a teaching degree which i didn't have but he said if you really want to work in children's television and you want some advice why don't you talk to fred rogers now we knew his name in pittsburgh i mentioned the program that he was affiliated with called children's corner he was behind the scenes doing the puppets and the music and um co-producing and i thought well let's see what he has to say at the time he was studying and learning about child development i'll tell you about his background a little later because you really have to understand why he gave me this particular advice so he was working with children, studying, learning, and it was a what they called a nursery school. <laughs> um, and he was kind enough to meet with me. And he said, Hedda, if this is what you want, why don't you think about a master's degree? But he didn't say a master's degree in TV production. He didn't say a master's degree in mass media or communication. He said, why don't you think about a master's degree in child development? And he suggested that I do that at the University of Pittsburgh, where they had a wonderful graduate school of child development that he was associated with and learning from. Now, I just, to me, the wonderful thing about that advice is that what he was saying to me is the big question is not really what can we produce for children. The big question is, what are they bringing to us? Who are they? What makes them afraid? What makes them happy? What make, makes them sad? Um, how do they see the world? And so it kind of made sense to me to stay in Pittsburgh for graduate school at the University of Pittsburgh. And I would see Fred now and then at school. And he remembered my interest. 
The second year I was in graduate school, he got funding for this thing called Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And he asked if I would help. Wow, that's when history was made. Wow, amazing. There was no staff. There was no pay. They gave me this big title. I was to be the assistant director. Uh, and actually, I mean, we were taping at night, so it fit in with my child development graduate school schedule, fortunately. And I say to people, I would go to the classes in the daytime and learn complex child development theory. And then I would come into the control room at night and watch Fred play out all those things that I was learning about, but he was making them real. He was showing us how they feel and how important they are. Things like ritual, routine, how that helps you feel secure, how it builds trust, uh, helping children deal with their feelings, helping them with transitions. Look how he took us from one place to the other so carefully, like a tapestry, so you knew what the picture was going to be next. Um, and of course, the difference between make-believe and reality. And helping us with all of those. And I was watching that. I had this remarkable perspective of really being able to understand what he was doing. And see, um, the child development graduate school, it seems to me, had a couple of major focus points that you can see in Fred's work. Um, for one thing, relationship, the absolute importance of relationship, which builds trust, security, all those things. Um, Fred didn't call Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood a, a show. He was even reluctant to call it a program. He referred to it as a television visit. Visit, you know, that has the word relationship built into it. This was not just me here giving to you. It's me here inviting you to join me. And I mean, look how he started. Won't you be my neighbor? It's, you know, no, no matter who you are, no matter what you look like, no matter what you can or cannot do, won't you be my neighbor? And I, I An can say as a child, you, I always felt like he could see me through the screen and that, and that he was listening to me. So that right. reciprocal nature that we speak so much about in this approach of, of really listening. I think Mr. Yeah. Rogers exemplified that always. Uh, there are two things that come to mind when you tell that story, Sandy, about your reaction. One was there was a wonderful piece. I think it was a blog in the New York Times uh, somewhere around the time of the 50th anniversary of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. A mother wrote and she said that her daughter, maybe four years old, was watching Mr. Rogers one day and the mother said, we have to turn it off. It was before it ended. We have to turn it off because we have to go pick up your sister. I have to go, we have to go now. And the little girl said, we can't leave. He won't have anybody to talk to. That's... <laughs> <laughs> That's how connected. Now, I, I will tell you the other side of it. Fred was also very careful 
to help children know that he can't see, and he said this several times through the whole series, I cannot see or hear you, but I can think about you. Hmm. And he, he made that clear. And so he would ask questions that were rhetorical. Did you ever feel that way? that sort of invited you in. So relationship was one thing. Certainly play was another, the value of play and what people, what children bring to their play and what they take from their play, how they master things through their play. And the third part was about feelings, helping children deal with their feelings. Now, I think it's really important for your listeners to understand Fred's background. How was he able to bring all of that and understand that and bring it so brilliantly to, to television? Okay. Um, first of all, he grew up as an only child in a small town outside of Pittsburgh, the town of Latrobe. Now, here's what's interesting. He, I say only child but his sister was adopted into the family when he was 11. Oh. She was adopted as a baby. Nobody has said this, but I think part of the reason Fred had such an intense interest in an early childhood is that as an 11 year old, he watched a baby grow. You know, it's, it's pretty rare for an 11 year old to be around a baby. True. Um, he also spent a lot of time making up plays with the neighborhood kids and doing some puppet things. And he was sick a lot, so alone making up stories. Now, um, when it, it, he also had a fascination with music. He had an ear for music and played piano very young, could hear songs and play them out. Um, he when he went to college, he actually ended up with a degree in music composition. Um, he was intending to go into the ministry right after college. His family was very strong faith-based, and that was the track he was heading for. He came home senior year during spring break, and he happened to see some children's television. This was 1950. 51, early television. And he said what he saw was like slapstick and nonsense, and he felt children deserve better. So instead of going to the ministry, he decided to get an apprenticeship at NBC in New York. He was a floor, he was an apprentice and then a floor manager. So when you think about it, he was one of the early pioneers in television. I I understand that he felt that commercial television was going towards greed and away from gift. He wanted to be part of gift. So he came back to Pittsburgh to help found WQED, our, our uh, educational television station. And he paired up with Josie Carey, who was my, <laughs> my model <laughs> and my role model. Uh, to do this program called Children's Corner. Now he just, he did the puppets behind the set he did the music behind the set. And in fact, that's why he wore sneakers because he, he was, that's why he was so comfortable because he had to run from the music to the puppets and do it quietly. During his lunchtime, working for 
this program called Children's Corner. During his lunchtime, he went to the Pittsburgh Theological Seminary, going back to his interest in the ministry. He got a master's in divinity, it took him eight long years of lunch hours. He got a master's in divinity, and then he was ordained as a Presbyterian minister with a special charge of serving through television. Um, now, what's interesting is that one of his professors at the seminary uh, asked the students to work on an adult case uh, study. And since Fred was interested in children as a ministry rather than adult, he suggests, this professor suggested that Fred connect with Dr. Margaret McFarland, who was at the head of the University of Pittsburgh Child Development Graduate School. So um, that began a lifetime of learning from this incredibly brilliant psychologist who Eric Erickson said she knew more about children and families than anyone he knew. That was her lifetime passion, children and families. Uh, so there, Fred went through the classes in child development after he got the Master's in Divinity, went through the classes, and then he continued to work. Uh, it's hard for me to say what the verb is, because it was observing children and learning from them under the guidance of Dr. McFarland and some of the other teachers who were working there at this incredible place. This incredible child care preschool uh, was, uh, it was called the Arsenal Children and Family Center. It was set up by Ben Spock, who was at the School of Medicine, Eric Erickson at the School of Medicine and Margaret McFarland. But I have to, here's another nugget about what made Fred's work so remarkable. He told me that when he first started working with children, he wanted to be fun, he wanted to be interesting, but he said the more comfortable he became with the children and with himself in the midst of the children, the more he realized that if he really wanted to communicate, the most important thing is to listen, to listen. So, I mean, you know, when you think about it, anybody making television for children needs to, you just need to sit and listen and be around children and understand. So, so let me take you to um, this next uh, place, though I think we've been speaking so much about this anyway, um, through everything that you've said. From a Reggio perspective, we often speak about the image of the child, that we believe that a child is capable, a fully formed human being with important thoughts and ideas, understandings about the world, they have their own perspectives, and, and it's upon us as the adults to really make sure that a child is listened to, as you were just speaking about what, what Fred believes so strongly. And, and I've listened to you speak so many times. Fortunately, I've gotten to hear you, you know, in person and, and in documentaries. And, um, and, and I always feel this deep connection about this way of thinking, yours, Fred's thinking about children. And I was wondering if you could share a little bit about Fred's image of the child, what he believed about children, and, and, and maybe a story that, you know, would show that. 
Um, well, I have to first preface it by saying it's hard for me to say what Fred believed if it's not something specific that I can quote, because Fred always elevated. I, I tell the story that I used to do writing about his work, and I would put a posty note on the draft saying for your revision, and then I got smarter, and I put the note that I put on the next batch was for your elevation because he always elevated. So I'm very careful about saying what I think was in Fred's mind, of course. Um, but it's just, it's clear that Fred, Fred was very conscious of who was on the other side of his television visit. And he gave time for that person to reflect. He would ask a question and then wait and allow it just so that the child would have time to react. He gave you a sense that he really cared about you. You know, that, that relationship, where does all the, Fred used to say, we, it's through relationships that we learn best and grow best. And he was, always interested in this is a who who are you and he, he when he was planning mr rogers neighborhood he sat down every week with dr margaret mcfarland to talk about the underneath grounding the child development grounding of any theme he was working on i remember for example with uh, if he was doing the week about food, she would tell him the story about how a child moves from being someone who passively takes the spoon or the bottle to someone who turns it around and offers it to you as a kind of uh, not just taking in, but offering, and then to the point of wanting to feed themselves. She would help him understand that this is uh, it, it's development and that when you understand the roots of this, you have such great respect even for the infant and this, the things that have to happen along the way. Um, but it's, it's basically through the relationship with a caring adult. Erickson trust. <laughs> You know, that how do we build trust so that we help children feel comfortable telling us who they are and what they need, what they care about? And I, he was, I, I remember too a story he would tell. He, he would take the puppets to small groups of children when he was trying to learn and listen, but he didn't take the puppets like a puppet show. Right. He would take the puppets in a way to engage the children with conversation. So this great story, one day he took out, uh, ex, he took out King Friday. And it's a small group of children, maybe four or five. He loved small groups like that. And um, a little girl came up and she said, oh, King Friday, do you know what happened at our house? The bird got out of the cage and the cat got the bird and the bird died. And Fred had King Friday talk a bit with her and then she seemed okay and she went and she sat back down in the circle and King Friday talked to some others and then he took out another puppet and this same girl 
came up and she looked right at X the owl and she said, X, do you know what happened at our house? The cat got out, the bird got out of the cage and the cat got the bird. And the, she told this to every puppet. And it, it was times like that, that Fred came to understand in that close communication, listening, that he, he had such respect for what children bring to whatever they're doing. Oh, that was so very clear to me. Um, who, as a young child, I spent a lot of years in and out of the hospital and felt so very connected to this this man on the screen who who felt like my friend who was who was listening to me and and I just loved him so much. I still get choked up when I see video of him. Um, what I didn't think about then, but what I do know now is how forward thinking he was and how ahead of his time he was in so many ways. I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about that. I remember Fred saying, although the outsides of children's worlds may have changed, their insides haven't changed. Children still need the same kinds of things we've always talked about, the trust, the autonomy, the sense of separation, being able to separate the, the sense of being able to master things through their play, um, deal with their feelings. I even remember in the times like um, the uh, September 11th, where his, one of his main messages was, we've all have to find ways to deal with our anger, positive things that we can do. What do you do with the mad that you feel? What do you do with the mad that you feel? And that we, we need to find creative ways that are constructive. That anger is a really important, it's, it's an important feeling that can help us move forward if we can find constructive ways to deal with it. There have been a lot of positive things that have happened in our world because people have managed to take this anger into a place that helps others. I remember uh, seeing the episode, and I can't think of his name, but uh, the boy in the wheelchair that um, then we see him again as an adult, and I think I was sobbing. But um, his, his thinking about all different kinds of people in ways that people back then really weren't thinking uh, amazed me. I, I don't know. Could you share that? a little of that story because it's just so beautiful. Well, what's interesting about the story about the boy in the wheelchair name was Jeff Erlinger. Jeff Erlinger, right. Um, Fred had met him. Here's, you know, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood had a special effect, I think, on children who had special needs, who had challenges, adults even who had challenges who wrote to us. There was something about this, I, I don't know, what do you call it? Unconditional love. This sense that you are special and so is everybody else in this world. Um, and I think that was, that was part of what Fred was conveying. 
and it meant something really special to some people. This family wrote to Fred and said, our son is going to have surgery. He's about five years old and it's major surgery. Um, and we asked him what special treat he might like before that because there's gonna be a long recuperation. And the little boy said, he wanted to meet, they thought Disneyland. <laughs> and he said, he said, I want to see Mr. Rogers. They wrote to Fred and Fred happened to be going, they live in Madison, Wisconsin. Fred happened to be going to Milwaukee to the public station around that time. And he said, I'm coming there. Can we meet? So they brought Jeff over. They had time. He sat and had breakfast with them. And I, mean, I think Fred understood that that message of won't you be my neighbor, no matter what you can or cannot do, had it rang a special truth to some families. Yeah. Um, now, Fred really felt he, Jeff was a remarkable child. And I, I have heard the children who've had major time in hospitals, they're around doctors and nurses and they, they, many of them become more articulate or more communicative. So um, when Fred, years later now, this five years later, Fred was doing a week of programs about divorce. And this is another interesting part of who Fred was and how he thought about children. He took a theme across, from 1979 on, he took a theme across a whole week. And for one thing, what that did was it allowed him to give lots of different perspectives on that theme and help you think about it for a while. It also helped him develop a neighborhood of make-believe story that didn't have to get fixed, solved in, a half, in that half hour. You could think, what could they do? How could they stop this? And how could they help Lady Elaine not do our magic of turning things upside and and try because that I mean life is more like that of trying to figure things out for a while until you figure it. So um, here was 1980, and Fred wanted to do a week about divorce. Which, by the way, what? the idea that he would speak about things. It, with children that people avoided speaking to children right. about is amazing. Right. And one, by the way, one of the main themes that he gave was even when parents argue, that doesn't mean they're going to get divorced. Hmm. So that was another, that was another one of those perspectives that he was giving. One is that it's not, if your parents are getting divorced, it's not your fault. And the other was, right. Okay, that it's that doesn't necessarily mean divorce. All right, so one of the themes that Fred wanted to help children understand is that some things can be repaired and some things can't be repaired. Hmm. You know, we had heard about children who go to wishing wells and wish their parents could get back together again. <laughs> um, and he, that's what Fred was trying to do that in a way, but Fred was so subtle. So subtle. He never said it that way, but he brought children to meet. He brought Jeff Erlinger to meet with children. Now, I have to also tell you, our associate producer at the time said, 
Um, Jeff lives in Madison, Wisconsin. It's going to be expensive for us to bring his family here and keep them here. Uh, we have other children. Oh, Fred wanted a child who had a physical disability that, quote, can't be repaired, but he also wanted a child in an electric wheelchair. You talk about forward thinking. At the end of the divorce week, Fred went to visit a place where a man makes electric cars. <laughs> That's forward thinking. So he wanted a child who needed an electric wheelchair. And Kathy, our associate producer, said, Fred, there are many children in Pittsburgh we can get. And Fred said, no, I want Jeff. He must have felt a connection to Jeff. And um, I, you know, it's something about year after year, day after day, Jeff and his relationship with Fred that connected them so beautifully that day. Um, and you know, Jeff was 10, so he was, you know, he, and, and Fred said, the only thing, we never scripted those parts. When Fred met with people, it was just a rough outline because you're not asking people to memorize it. Certainly you wouldn't ask a 10 year old boy no. to memorize. So Fred just told him, I'm going to ask him why you need the wheelchair. And I'm going to ask, maybe, maybe we'll sing one of the songs. I also, I have to say, anybody seeing that segment, and you can find it, if you go to mrrogers.org, M-I-S-T-E-R-R-O-G-E-R-S.org, under special guests, there's Jeff. The, the director is in, in, when you make a television program, the director is in a totally other room way down the hall in the control room. This was unrehearsed and it was unscripted. And how that director helped us feel the connection between the two. No one to give us Fred, no one to give us, no one. And the, Jeff started singing and the two of them, it, it really- It was, it was so lot. intimate. It was so beautiful. I, yeah. uh, it really, and it was very real. Uh, <laughs> I still get choked up, I can't. Yeah. Uh. So I'm wondering, because you do so much professional development for teachers, and your daughter's a kindergarten teacher as well, right? Yeah. Um, what, what do you think is one of the most important things for teachers to be thinking about when they walk into the classroom, their role with children? I think one of the things that this understanding of Fred as a listener says to me is that uh, the word teacher needs to have uh, something next to it that says teacher learner. <laughs> For a teacher to be a learner, to have your ears open to what, who's on the other side of what you're saying. Uh, one of the great stories I tell is about um, a kindergarten teacher who was talking to three children and she says to one, um, where, do, where does the sun go at night? And the little girl says, I think at night the sun goes down into the ocean and then in the morning comes back up. Now, if you live near the ocean, I mean, that is really what it looks like. Right, right. Um, then next to this little girl is a boy who says, my daddy says, the earth spins on its axis. And when it's day here, it's night somewhere else. And the teacher thinks, oh, he's got it. Next to him is a little girl who says, 
Well, I think at night the sun breaks up into stars. And then in the morning, the stars all come back together again and they make the sun. And the little boy says, that makes more sense. <laughs> <laughs> and I it love does. that story. Yeah. I love that story because it says to us, you know, what we want to teach children is to have your eyes open, your ears open, your imagination open. Um, you know, our and, world is and so complex. It is. And that their theories are just so important and tell us so much about where they are and who they are. And, right. and, and really, we can build on those theories as teachers if we're really listening. Um, my, my daughter, who is the kindergarten teacher, Laurie, who has her master's in early childhood from Erickson, and she is a remarkable kindergarten teacher. She, uh, one year, it was right before parents' night, she was trying to figure out what to put on the bulletin board. And she decided to make it a wonder wall and have the children each say what they're wondering about. Hmm. And she would have them either write it or dictate it, and she would put that up to help parents know, you know, children are thinking and they're wondering about what's going on. And my, my four and a half year old um, twin grandchildren in the other family is the same thing. It's their their minds, how they figure things out and how it's just fascinating. Yeah. It, wondering is the beginning of questioning and researching. And yeah, it's such, such an important thing for us to value as we walk into our classrooms. Yeah. Fred had a, a way of thinking about teachers also, if I recall. Did, could you share about that? He had sort of an image of, of the teacher. I remember Fred saying, my childhood heroes used to wear capes and fly around and rescue people. But he said, now I think the heroes are people who are working with children. And he understood from sitting for hours in preschool rooms, he understood what a challenge it can be um, and how how much work it takes to, to balance who you are, your needs, and the child's needs. Um, I was just thinking the newsletter that I did for this month in July is about uh, helping children look carefully and look closely at things. And part of the, one of the headings was about uh, giving children enough quiet time to really look and explore. But I also know that it's, it's hard to balance. When do I ask a question as a child is exploring? Is that question going to scaffold and help the child get further? Or should I just be quiet and let this child keep going with it wherever he or she is going to take it? Um, it's that constant balance of what the child needs, what I think the child needs and what I'm seeing. Um, I, I am amazed at what teachers do all day. I say bravo. I mean, yes, Absolutely. real heroes. Absolutely. Teachers are real heroes. And uh, Fred absolutely appreciated. In fact, when somebody would write to him, 
um, and, and ask a challenging question, what he would say is, um, I can be only a television friend and I only know you through this letter. The most meaningful kind of help comes from people who know you or know your child and can be with, uh, walk the journey with you or be with you along the way because it's not just a, a how do I solve this problem? Oh, thank you. You gave me the right words. Now I know it. Um, we're much more complicated creatures than that. And that we need that relationship with someone who can help us as things progress and move along. I just really want to thank you so much, Hedda. I, I am so excited to, to just be with you in any time. But this has just been such a gift that you've given us today sharing Fred's legacy as you always do, and, and also just all of your beautiful thoughts and stories. I, I just can't thank you enough for, for doing that for us today. If people want to find your newsletter, find more videos of, of Mr. Rogers, could you tell us again how to do that? The um, legacy website for Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood is M-I-S-T-E-R-R-O-G-E-R-S dot org. You have to spell out Mr. Rogers dot org. There's a lot there of uh, videos and the understanding and, and full-length episodes. There's, um, there's also at the Fred Rogers Center dot org is where they can find my newsletter. Um, Which is I a great you, newsletter. I read it every month. Thank you. Yeah, and I usually use a short video clip to illustrate yeah. that. Wonderful There's for the, teachers and families that are... Thank you. Yeah. And then there's fredrogersproductions.org, which is the production company for Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, Odd Squad, Peg Plus Cat, and more to come. It's a very exciting time for the company to be able to build on Fred's legacy. Wow. Well, thank you. I, I really loved every minute of this. So let's do it again. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Okay. Thank Be well. Stay healthy, everyone. Yes. <laughs>If you want to know more about the Reggio approach or any of my guests, please contact me at sandylanesconsulting at gmail.com, S-A-N-D-Y-L-A-N-E-S consulting at gmail.com, or visit me at sandylanesconsulting.com. My name is Sandy Lanes, and I am the host and...
My name is Sandy Lanes, and I'm the host of this podcast, as well as a pedagogical consultant and presenter who partners with educators and schools on their Reggio-inspired journeys. Each episode, I have the pleasure of interviewing experts in the early childhood field. Welcome to a special episode of Awakened to Reggio. What makes it so special is that I am joined by one of my favorite child advocates, Hedda Sherapin, who was Fred Rogers' associate producer and friend for the duration of his iconic TV program, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. While Hedda and Fred did not study the Reggio approach, their knowledge of child development, along with their deep belief in a child's capability, in the importance of listening, and their focus on the social and emotional lives of children make this interview a beautiful pairing with our study of the approach. I never get enough of Hedda's stories about Mr. Rogers and the many lessons we can all learn from his legacy. I believe you all will see the incredible connections to this time in education and this time in the world. Thank you so much for joining us.